Hello, friends. Welcome to the Best Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pacquione. On this podcast today, we speak to Charlie Prangley, better known online as Charlie Marie. Charlie is a big deal YouTuber. She's a speaker. She's a creative director for ConvertKit. That's the email supplier that I use, the email marketing supplier I use. Uh, speaking of ConvertKit, I will be speaking at Craft and Commerce. That's their annual conference. That is June 23rd through 25th in Boise. Oh my gosh, if you're going to be there, please let me know. Uh, Charlie's so great. I love the ConvertKit folks in general. Charlie's so great. She really impresses me with the amount of thought and care she puts into everything, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's design. Frankly, her emails are great in the same way. So in this episode, I mean, we do want to talk about speaking. So we talked to Charlie about her fear of being on stage and what she's done to overcome that. We talk about how she envisions her audience when she's making her YouTube videos. Then we talk about whether she likes to write scripts or not, whether she does that for YouTube, stage, how it's different for YouTube versus stage. We, and then we get into design, which is like the thing that she's best at. So we talk about design and graphics. And then I wanted her to be able to help people out who aren't designers. So one of the things we talk about here is she gives some practical design tips for non-designers when you were creating your slides. So we'll talk about things like font to use instead of just using the default that everybody else does. Same with background. Instead of just using the default white, what should you do? Charlie is super talented. You will love this episode. Uh, let's check it out. This is my interview with Charlie Prangley, AKA Charlie Murray. All right, y'all, let's talk. I have been around some famous people in my day. I have, uh, <laughs> I've walked around with famous athletes, gold medalists. I've in the internet world, I, I've, you know, I remember walking around with Donald Miller. I remember walking around Portland with Amy Porterfield and I was like, I'm here with Amy Porterfield. Like people are, someone's going to stop us. Nope. Didn't happen. The only time where I have been stopped with someone famous is my guest for today. Charlie Prangley. I'm thrown off by the prangly. My whole life, I've thought it was prongly. My whole life. <laughs> Since I've known you, I thought it was prongly. Thanos, Thanos, same feeling. But yeah, Charlie and I were in London, so this sounds like an exotic story now. Uh, but we met up in London. We were, well, we were, we were just having lunch. And um, oh, you know what? We were in line for lunch, and a guy just stopped and asked if you were the person from YouTube. And I just figured, how many times, like, has that happened to you very much? It's happened more in London than I would say anywhere else that I've been. Uh, London had quite like a YouTube scene, I guess. But yeah, I think it's it's hilarious, Mike, to hear you call me famous. That just feels very weird to me. Internet um, famous. Especially <laughs> internet, you're judging it off this one incident as well. No, no I'm is, also judging it off of you have like that YouTube thing that they send in the mail to people whose channel gets really big. Yes, I do. Yep. That 100K YouTube subscriber plaque. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't, I feel like that's. That's the, the qualifiers for fame, is it? You've got the YouTube subscriber a plug and someone recognizes you if you had a party with a hundred thousand people at your house people would be like oh my gosh were you at charlie prangley's house yeah so. i don't think i could fit a hundred thousand people in my house you're <laughs> right that's a lot yeah, of people I'm looking at it right now <laughs> uh for people in america a lot of times people in america hear an accent they assume everyone's british mm -hmm. just to clarify charlie's not actually british actually you know what i'm half british oh the accent is from new zealand so yeah you are right and also wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my brand. Uh, 
I've, Charlie and I have known each other for years. Like, I, I think London's the only time we actually met in person. But um, I wanted to have you on today to talk about a few things. So right off the bat, the first time I got to coach you, I was, I was excited because you seemed so calm. Hmm. So I would, I would love to start there. And people can watch this. I mean, you have speeches on the internet. You seem calm. Is that actually true? <laughs> like when you're I, on stage, are you like no? I would describe honestly me being on stage as the you know duck in water. Where like yeah, on the surface I'm like this cool, calm, collected person, and on the inside I'm like I don't know if I can swear on your show, but I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. effing freaking out <laughs> on the inside, <laughs> and I'm like got an internal monologue going, and I'm like you know giving myself a pep talk while I'm on the stage while I'm presenting. Um, I think maybe like the more I've done talks on stage, especially the calmer I've felt on the inside, but definitely not as calm as I appear on the exterior. That's for sure. So I just think this is something that's so fascinating. What you just said that while you're talking, you're also giving yourself a pep talk. You're looking at the <laughs> audience. You're trying to think like what slide is next. Do you have something that keeps you from going off topic? I was just talking to someone about this, how it's so easy to have a moment where you get an idea and you say, oh, I know I've been working on this talk for months and I've rehearsed it and I made all these tough decisions, but there's this shiny new idea. I'm going to go chase it. And then you lose the audience. So is there something that you do that keeps you on track or maybe a, a pep talk you give yourself? I would not allow myself to even have that thought of the shiny new idea while on stage. <laughs> I'm a big fan of like doing all the prep work beforehand and like, you know, knowing the talk really well so that I can ad lib within it I guess within the confines yeah. of it um so I guess yeah I've never been in that situation where I've been on stage and literally wanted to say something that wasn't something I'd planned to say I just like don't allow myself to do that <laughs> but even when you ad lib I mean ad libbing can go off the rails too so when you say yeah, you ad lib what is, what is that is that just a, well, a joke or what is that yeah it's more like the way that I'm delivering it um Actually, one thing that comes to mind as, as a joke was um, the talk that you coached me on. Yeah. Uh, I got up on stage and I, I talked about being on YouTube, which in my accent, you know, <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. sound like I was speaking to an audience of mostly Americans. And so I think I said something like, uh, or as you might say, YouTube. <laughs> I like put on my American accent and I was just like I don't know that happened in the moment because I was really aware of my accent yeah. and I thought well this could be a good like little icebreaker at the start you know um so it was an ad lib but it was still within the confines of what I was trying to say yeah but I love <laughs> that that can only happen if you feel confident in your speech because true, you know true. that right after that if the audience doesn't laugh it's like well whatever I know the speech is good yep 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 <laughs> so I okay so have you ever had legit anxiety mm -hmm. I would say that I used to have a fear of public speaking like it was a fear um even in speaking up in meetings at work I would like psych myself up to say the thing that I wanted to say to the group it could be even a group of like four people in the meeting and I was afraid to talk and I don't believe that a fear of public speaking is a valid fear like mm. I, you know I'm also afraid of the dark and I feel like that is incredibly way more valid than being afraid of public speaking. There can be scary things in the dark that you can't see. What's going to like, what is there to be afraid of really when it comes to public speaking? And so it's a fear that I like consciously was like, no, I don't want to be afraid of this. I want this to be a skill that I have and I want to be able to do this. I go to a lot of conferences. I see a lot of people on stage that I'm inspired by. I want to be able to do that too. 
And so I like started putting myself in situations where I would have to get better at it. And um, I don't think it's a fear anymore. I definitely still get nervous before talks, but I would say that I've conquered the fear of, of getting up on stage and speaking in front of people. That's really cool. So it sounds like there is at least a part of you that recognized that success looked really cool if you could speak well. So why yeah. don't I speak well? Yep. Yep. I wanted to be able to do that. I hated the feeling of like, you know, getting sweaty before just wanting to say my piece in a meeting uh, at work. That just felt ridiculous to me. Um, I know it's not like a lot of people have this fear, but yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in that situation. Um, and honestly, doing YouTube videos helped me to mm. overcome this too. Because when you make YouTube videos, especially early on when you're editing them all yourself, you have to get really used to the sound of your own voice. <laughs> um, you have to get really sick of your own face, of your own voice. You notice all your little vocal tics and things that become really annoying to edit out. And I think it helped make me a better speaker and also be less afraid of it because I was like immersing myself in listening to myself, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, so through mortification... And mm -hmm. <laughs> beginning to hate the mistakes that you make. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. I am not going to make Charlie the editor deal with Charlie the speaker. Yes, yes. And also, honestly, like, not all, not being all bad, too. Just realizing, like, hey, you know, I know some stuff. I'm mm -hmm. communicating it well. Maybe I don't have to be afraid of speaking up. There was, there was also that side of it. That's fascinating. I've noticed that sometimes where I think that I did something. I'm like, oh, this was average. This was bad. And if I give it enough time, I'm able to look back at it objectively and, and recognize some things that are better about it. So that makes me wonder about, okay, so you record a YouTube today. Are you editing? Well, you're probably not doing your own editing anymore, but. I, not so much anymore. Sometimes I do, but okay. these days mostly I outsource that. So when, when would you edit? Like you're not editing right after you record, right? No, not usually. Usually right after I record, I'm exhausted because um, I'm an introvert and even like talking to a camera exhausts me because I'm like, you know, having to project confidence and smile while I'm talking. Uh, so I need a break after I, after I film. Definitely come back to it later. But do you come back to it the same day? No, usually it'd be the next day at the earliest. Okay. And you have some distance at that point to be able to judge mm -hmm. whether this is good or not. Hmm. That's interesting. I know that a lot of people struggle with YouTube or, or any video scenario because you can't see the audience. Yeah. What did you do to make that feel less weird? I engaged with every single comment that I got early on on my YouTube channel. I can't do that anymore, um, though I do still try to reply to a lot. But uh, I really try and take on board the responses that I'm getting. Maybe not so much the negative ones, like you're going to get some hate when you're putting yourself out there on the internet and it's hard not to take those on board. But for every negative comment, I know that there's like, I don't know, at least five positive comments that make up for it. People who have told me that I've helped them figure out their career path, help them get better at design, land this job, decide what school to go to, whatever. And that's who I'm like trying to think of when I'm planning a video, when I'm recording a video, I'm like, how am I helping these people? And keeping those comments in mind helps me keep in mind who those people are and how I'm helping them. So while you're recording a video, you're thinking of people on the other end who have given you comments about, Charlie, this really helped. And, you, and your assumption is there's someone else out there. This will be helping. 
Yeah, hopefully. And also thinking like, what can I say that would encourage people to reply as well to keep that conversation going mm. so they have a fuel for the next video, you know? Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Can you give an example of that? Uh, oh, and a good example from my, uh, I did a recent office tour video where I showed people around this room that I'm recording in right now, yeah. but I think this is an audio show so people can't see. So just imagine <laughs> uh, like nice bright room with plants and art on the wall. Uh, and in that video near the end of the tour, I said, what, which part of this office would you want to take for yourself? Like if you could build your dream space, which piece from my office would you want to be in it? Um, and that just spawned a lot of comments. Someone said that they would take me, which was hilarious. Oh They're gosh. like, I just love your attitude. It'd be so inspiring. Oh, oh, oh. I was thinking. <laughs> you were thinking creepy? Yeah. I was thinking creepy guy. Yeah. <laughs> I know you get creepy guy comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that too. I try to ignore those ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's like the best compliment when done well, right? Like I would take yeah. you. You have the best attitude. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Do you have a do you have a a video that you're particularly proud of? Like you feel like this is my best one? Honestly, I really liked that one, that office tour that I just mentioned, because I feel like I really let myself be myself in that one. Yeah. I think that sometimes a problem I can have is over preparing to a point where I'm just like going through the motions when it comes to reading the script, recording the video, mm -hmm. and not allowing space for the ad libs like we talked about earlier. Um but in that office tour video, I just, I didn't really plan it. I just talked uh, as if I was showing a friend around the room. And I felt like I could see myself reflected back in the video that came out of it at the end, which ah, is definitely like a journey to get to that point on YouTube. Yeah. And it's something that I slip in and out of as well. Um, you know, I've been on, on YouTube for over eight years now. Uh, and so it's like a constant recorrection, I guess. So I'm curious, you mentioned a script. I'm curious about scripts for YouTube versus a script on stage. Let's start with YouTube. Mm. YouTube's obviously shorter. What are some of your strategies for your YouTube script? And when you say script, are you actually writing things out word for word? Is it bullets? What is it? These days I am. So um, I used to just write bullets and then would find in the editing process, the videos would get really long or I wouldn't communicate <laughs> my point how I wanted it and I'd have to refilm or it'd take a long time to film. I recently, like as of in the past six months, bought a teleprompter and I use that to record like the videos where I'm sat down here at my desk communicating some sort of education topic. Um, so yeah, that is word for word these days. Wow. And how long does it take you to write word for word? Ooh, I don't know. I honestly have no idea. Like maybe a couple of hours max to, to like plan that um, because I'm in my thinking it through in my head, what do I want to say? And then I'm just writing down what I want to say, basically. I'm not sort yeah. of like writing and doing a full edit and I don't know, thinking about restructuring. I'm just basically capturing the thoughts of what uh -huh. am I saying now that I'm not in the pressure of the camera situation and thinking about the time and the filming and all that. Let's write that down so that when I am filming, I have exactly what I want to say. One of the things I think that's interesting about YouTube versus an onstage speech is YouTube... I don't think people should dilly-dally on stage either, but there's at least a little bit of grace for, hey, my name's Charlie, and I came in here from New Zealand, and da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. YouTube, there's no time for that at all. No, you've got to think about the first like five seconds and what's going to make someone stick around. So what are some of your strategies for that? I feel like this is not a strong suit of mine, honestly, but what I've been mm. trying to do at the start of my videos is like lead with, 
lead with a hook of like what's going to entice people to stick around. Um, I can't remember the exact like sentence I said at the start of, uh, for example, my income video. I do a video each year about my income from the previous year. It's like an income report. But I would have said a number in it, for example. Not yeah. given away all of it, but like said some impressive number that gets people to to stick around. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so then let's talk about how you write a speech for stage. And I'm using the, the word stage liberally, uh, meaning on a stage or a virtual presentation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is that? What does the preparation process look like for you? And here's specifically what I'm wondering about, because you, you're so visual, you're a designer. Almost everybody, I recommend, write the thing out before you worry about slides. But I feel mm-hmm. like for someone like you, you might be able to cheat that step a little bit. What, what is it? Ooh. Like walk, walk me through... Charlie's giving a speech, like you're actually Mm -hmm. going to be on a stage, let's say six weeks from now. So some amount of time, but not a ton. What, what, what does your preparation process look like? I feel like I start my speech writing in a similar way to I approach the design process because Mm. that's what I do. Like, you know, that's my bread and butter basically is design. And when I'm designing a new web page, I always start with first a brief outline of the content like written. And then I move into wireframing, which is where you're like sort of just moving black and white blocks around the page. You're not worrying about the visuals or anything like that. You're just thinking about the structure of the information. So that's very similar to what I do when I'm planning a speech. First of all, I will write some bullet points down of like the key points I want to communicate in Mm -hmm. this talk. Then I'll open up Keynote and actually start just with black and white, like the plain basic template, not thinking about design, um, putting in some slides of like points that I want to communicate. Um, and that's just like how I think best is having them to like then shuffle around as well and think about, well, this point actually needs to be broken down into three parts to like fully communicate it properly. And I start moving through the process like that. That's interesting. So you go into keynote and on the slide, I'm guessing you just write the, the slide is just text. You're not designing. Oh yeah. yeah. It's just point. text. Like for example, the talk that you coached me on was about mm-hmm. my um, journey from zero to a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube within five years. And so one of the slides in that would have just said like graph stats, something yeah. like that. And I would have known like, okay, this is the point where I want to talk about like the journey and how the numbers grew over the years. Didn't have that graph in there or anything. It was just like a reminder of like what would go in this point, the wireframe, right? Totally. Okay. That totally makes sense. So then you've got that. When do you start making cuts to it? Or how do you, or maybe a better question. How do you know, uh, maybe I need to cut this part or I need to refine this part. I think I look at the, um, the number of slides Mm. that I have and knowing like, okay, what's the time that I have available for this talk? Uh, I I feel like I've heard people say like one slide per minute of talk and that's, I think that's a good rough estimation, but you know, not literally. Sometimes I might yeah. go through like five slides really fast to like make a point. And so, you know, but, but that is, I think where I would start is be like, okay, this is a 30 minute talk. I've got 70 slides here. We need to make some cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but that's interesting because what you're describing out loud, you're describing slides where you're just writing thoughts down, not mm-hmm. an actual slide that you would present with. Yep. 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 So, but the, the the thinking for me is that the slides that I'm where I'm the writing the thoughts down becomes the slides that I present. Oh, got it. Um, and maybe I make cuts when I realize I don't need a visual extra visual on screen for 
for this point, we can just leave the previous one up or whatever, um, is where I might make cuts to the slides themselves. But yeah, it becomes the outline for my talk. So it's That's really interesting. Cuts. You're literally doing one idea per slide and then going back later mm -hmm. <laughs> to make the slides yep. look nice. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. So can we talk about designing slides? You're, yeah. You're like an actual designer who knows all about yes. color theory and all these things, <laughs> which is intimidating for other people. It's so funny. I used to say when I presented, when I would give instruction on design, I, this is literally what I would say out loud. I would, when I lived in Portland, I would say, listen, I'm from Portland. This is like the mecca of cool designers who have their purple hair. Like <laughs> Charlie literally has purple hair right now. <laughs> sit around coffee shops and tell you all about color theory. So I'm just saying you're like the, you're, you actually are the intimidating designer <laughs> that I used to describe. Uh, we don't need people who are listening to this. Don't need to get to your level. Uh, no. I always tell people if, if the speech is that important, just hire a designer. Don't try to do it yourself. But what are, what are some practical design tips you can give to, I don't know, regular people with yeah. regular design skill or, or no design skill. Honestly, if you don't have a design skill, then the simpler you keep it, the better. Because if you try and do something fancy and complex with the design and you don't have that skill set to like really polish it up, it's going to end up looking worse than if you literally just put a word in the middle of the page on the screen. Um, and I know that sounds like, oh, maybe that's not making enough effort. I really want to design it. But yeah. I promise you reducing that complexity and just picking a really nice font you know there's lots of websites out there that will give you suggestions of like the top free google fonts at the moment that you know designers respect and that look nice and work nice <laughs> pick that pick a couple of colors that you're going to use throughout so that you're not you know mixing things up too much and stick to that and i promise you it'll it'll go better for you than if you try too hard this is a good time to plug i forgot about this the font that i use for presentations I bought from you. Did you? Yeah, Grayscale. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's really <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> Charlie designed her own font, which... I did. It's I like a handwritten cool. one. So if you want your slides to feel like there's like notations and stuff on them, that could be, yeah, a cool one to, to get. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's interesting because there's a personality to even your font choice. Mm -hmm. So can we do a little bit on fonts? Sure. Uh, what do you want to know I feel like everybody fonts? just defaults to, depending if they're using PowerPoint or Keynote, everybody defaults to either uh, Arial or I forget. Or what Helvetica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I think Helvetica looks nicer for those two, but those are the defaults. Without going into a whole thing about the 9,000 other options you have, what, what are some that you recommend to people that are just as simple as changing from the default? So if you want to do something that's like a little bit off, like, I don't know, a little bit more special than the defaults that everyone else is using, uh, a great way to do that is actually to like not use a default font. Um, fontshare.com, just spelled like it sounds, is a great resource of fonts that have been specifically curated. So it's not something that like any old person can submit something to. Um, you know that all of the fonts on it are going to be high quality and um, they're all free. And it's uh, an alternative to Google Fonts that I think it's the Indian Type Foundry put together and curate. So definitely check that out and go for one that speaks to you. Like, I, honestly, I'm scrolling through it right now. Any font on here where you feel like that is me, like I relate to that font, that feels like my personality represented. 
whether that's something like planar or more like geometric, whether it's something that has, yeah, I don't know, a little bit more to it. Go with go with your gut on it. But picking from this curated list, I think you'll you'll be off to a good start. Very cool. As long as it's legible. As long as it's legible. Yes. Yes. And I would say all of them are as I'm scrolling through. <laughs> Excellent. What about background on a side? Again, the default is usually white. It's not mm-hmm. bad necessarily, but what else could we do? Well, what I like to do with backgrounds is pick my time to have like a bold color on the background mm. because yeah, if you if you try and make everything bold and stand out, then nothing will. Right. So I like to reserve the colorful background for the key points that I really want to drive home. Or maybe it's for when we're moving into a new section of the talk. So I want to give a break and like sort of stop people and be like, okay, we're seeing a different color on screen. We're seeing something different in this talk from now on. Um, I like to shift away from plain white because I feel like it can be kind of harsh, especially when projected on the screen and do like a, a cream or a gray even for when you want a like plain quote unquote slide. Um, and you could also go dark mode as well and have it black with like cream or gray text on top could look kind of cool as well. Yeah, that's my style. I just feel like at a conference, especially, well, you know what? This is an interesting thing. I think that's, I might have a different answer on virtual than in person. Ooh, okay. What would you say differently? Well, I feel like at a conference, I want, I feel like at a conference, I want a darker background. It feels a little more formal to me. Hmm. But if I'm presenting on Zoom or something, the background is black. So I just, like the default in Zoom, and I don't think there's a way to change that, right? Like that's just what Zoom looks like. Yeah. I think it could be weird to look at where you can't, like maybe you can't see what is a slide and what is not a slide. Yeah, you can't see the edges of it. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, does that make context black better is or worse? I think it would make it worse. You want you want to stand out from the background and not blend in. Um, but you always want to think about the context that you're presenting in, for sure. Um, same with the amount of information you put on a slide, like... Uh, a problem, you know, I'm sure you've seen this a million times. People like to put a lot of bullet points on slides. I'm sure you've <laughs> yeah. covered that extensively on your podcast before about how you shouldn't do that. But people do it because they feel like they need all the information there. Or sometimes it's a case where you're presenting a talk and the slides are going to be shared later with the audience. Yeah. Um, I hate when conferences are like, can we share your slides? Because my slides are not set up to be understood without the talk accompanying right. them. Right? Like... So if that's the case, like maybe you make one set that gets shared after that does have the extra context and then one that you're, you know, presenting on stage as well. Um, but don't optimize for the sharing afterwards. I think it'll hurt the rest of your talk if you do that. Yeah. I always tell people that's the equivalent of standing on stage with note cards in your hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it is. It's no, a note cards in your it's hand that the audience can read so that they know what you're going to say <laughs> totally. before you say it. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. Yeah, I can remember. I always tell people this. When I was in grad school, particularly, I remember there was one teacher who, you know, would just put her lesson plan on the screen, basically. Mm-hmm. There'd be maybe three slides in a whole class. And I would just listen for little keywords that told me we're ready to move from bullet point one to bullet point two, two yep. to three, three to four, four to five, five to six, until finally, <sighs> like it always felt like, ah, oh, we're moving we on to the it. next slide. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> Not how you want your audience to feel. No. Um, you just gave me a good idea, which I feel like... Did you ever see The Wizard of Oz? Of course. 
Okay, you know it's black and white and then it turns color. I feel like that's yep. what you're saying to do with certain parts of your slide deck. Yeah, totally. Um, you keep the like the the inner parts the way you're where you're talking through something plainer, and then you go brighter or bolder for your key points, the ones that you want to remember, or the ones that sorry, the ones you want your audience to remember. Or yeah. and this is my favorite thing that happens at talks, especially in person, is when people take photos of the slide. Mm. Like that to me is the marker of a successful talk for me. If I go on Twitter afterwards and I see people have tagged me in a photo of my me doing the talk or a photo of my slide, I'm like, great, that point hit home so much, like enough that someone wanted to take a photo of it yeah. and remember that moment. So I try and design key slides of my talk for having a photo taken of them. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be the thing on screen that people like screenshot or take the photo of and, and share afterwards. <laughs> Do you have a strategy for getting people to take photos? Um, maybe I would say my strategy is make it look cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I guess in, in the talk, I'm trying to like, uh, I'm letting people know that this is the key point with my yeah. intonation and, you know, with how I've built up to it with the slides as well. Right. It comes on screen and it's got a purple background where everything else was like cream and it's got some hand lettering in it as well. Whereas everything else might've just been um, typed with a font and it's clearly like been designed. Um, and so if you're going to work with a designer on slides, maybe you don't even need to get them to do your whole deck. Maybe it's just like they can illustrate the top three points for you to, to include. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I can do a lot of the deck, but here's this thing. I can't do mm -hmm. it. Charlie, can you help me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you said something there that I feel like is really smart, which is the idea of your delivery matches that. So your delivery also clues the audience in. In addition to the, the pink background or whatever you've chosen to make it bold, hey, hey, you on your phone, pay attention to this part. It really mm -hmm. matters. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. So, okay, another question for you. About design, but also speaking. I feel like a lot of designers just want to curl up and not be on stage. <laughs> I love the design part. I love designing your slides. Oh, you want me to talk about my own work? I hate that. That's, that's, that's not me. That's a lot of designers. What gives you... I mean, is it just Charlie is ambitious and that's why she's able to get on stage and talk about these things? What, what gives you confidence or what makes you want to be on stage talking about design? I think, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I, I don't know if I agree that most designers don't want to talk about their work. Maybe it's just the circles I hang out in are all design <laughs> content creators who are talking about their work all the time. But, um, I, I, I guess know, I, I mean, I guess I mean more their inclination is just yeah. to let the work speak for itself. Gotcha. And even yep, when yep, they, yep. And I feel like a lot of designers, even when they get on stage, they're saying, well, we chose this color purple and we chose da 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 da, which can be interesting, but it's not the story. slides like that isn't yeah. much, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess that I was inspired by designers that I had seen on stage myself. Um, also feeling like, I, I don't know, I never saw any other New Zealanders on stage, right? Mm. Um, especially in, in the design world, you, it's more rare to see women on stage even still, yeah. you know, uh, in, in the design world. So I kind of, I don't know, maybe felt some responsibility there, but also the approach I take is that I am completely comfortable in the fact that I don't know everything. I know mm. that what I do know 
can help the people who haven't figured that out yet and that no one's going to expect me to know everything, right? Um, and to expect me to have it all figured out. But there's still a lot of people that I can help from simply sharing my experience and what I've done. So that's the approach I try and take in my YouTube videos, in any talk I give is like, here's what I've learned from my own experience. I'm passing it on to you to like help you move on to your next step. Super smart. Takes a lot of the pressure off you too. Yeah, exactly. I think, and also I think it's more relatable as an audience member as well. Like, cause you know, you, no one wants to go to the talk from the designer who's like, Oh, I'm hot shit. And I know everything. And I've worked with all these top clients and you can't touch me sort of thing. Like it's much more relatable to be like, well, I went through this situation where I really screwed up this client project. (laughs) And let me tell you how you can avoid that. (laughs) People love that story. They love that story of, I screwed this up or here's some things to avoid. I mean, that is, people are feverishly taking notes on that topic. So anybody listening, if you're looking for a topic. There we go. Yeah. Think about what you screwed up. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Can't go wrong talking about screwing up. Do you have a, do you have a speech that you've given and this can be virtual or in person? Do you have a speech that you've given that you're particularly proud of? Ooh, I'm going to say two. One is a talk that I gave at uh, How Design Live in Chicago about in-house design because it's a segment of the industry that is often underserved. In in the design land, um, agency is really popular. Uh, Being a product designer in-house is really popular, but there's less people talking about the marketing design and like in-house web design side of things. And there's a lot of freelancing as well, you know. So I was really proud to have the stage to talk about that and to share my insights on that. Um, and then another one that I'm really proud of is a talk that has been, I've given a lot, probably the most out of all of my talks, and it's been evolving every single time and it connects with people every single time, which is super fun. And it's called self-promotion is not a dirty word. And it's mm. basically me trying to help other designers, other creators, like, I don't know, I've given it for several different um, segment audience types, but it's about helping them put themselves out there and start building their reputation through sharing their work. Like this sort of stuff you were just talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. My friend, Laura Belgre, shout out to Laura. She posted something about why do people say shameless (laughs) self-promotion? Like, Like, why should you ever be ashamed? Yeah. In the first place. Yeah. Yeah. There probably is a version, but most of us are not <laughs> going down that road. <laughs> that's such a good that's such a good topic. Okay. I have one more question about YouTube compared to speeches, and then we'll okay. move into our final questions. <clears throat> Cause when you're speaking on a stage, you have more time. Like literally you have more time, but also I mean, even if you're treating it the stage as like five YouTube videos in a row, you still have more time because I don't know, people can't leave basically. <laughs> yeah, you've got a captive uh, <laughs> audience. <laughs> Do you, have a, do you have a mental switch that you may, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, do you need to remind yourself, okay, you're in the room. I can go into a little more detail here and it'll be okay. Or, or what do you do to switch from YouTube brain to onstage brain? I honestly don't know how much of a mental switch I truly make there. Mm-hmm. Like on, I, you know, before I was talking about being afraid of public speaking and how YouTube yeah. helped me get through that. What I started doing early into actually getting up on stages, you know, physical or virtual, was tell myself that I should treat it like I was doing a video. Because I knew that I wasn't afraid of filming a, a YouTube video. 
And so if I'm just sort of like, I don't know, people say picture the audience naked, I'm like picturing the audience as a camera instead and like <laughs> pretending like, no, this is just me doing my thing. I'm just sharing my my stuff like I do every single week in my, you know, in my own office um, talking to the camera. But now there's just people watching it instead of watching the edited version. So I don't think that I make that mental shift. If anything, I try and bring them more similar because it makes me more comfortable. It's fascinating. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> the camera is what freaks everybody else out. That's what comforts I know, but it's, you. it's what I feel most comfortable doing. <laughs> yeah, you make YouTube videos for eight years, and that's what happens. <laughs> how many how many takes do your videos take? I'm trying to avoid saying the word "take" twice in a row. How many? How many? <laughs> how many times do I record? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm, definitely more than one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely multiple for the for the ones that are planned. Um, I do videos that are kind of like just a vlog of the day in my life where I just right, you know right. shoot as I go. But yeah, the ones where I've planned, I will say each section probably end up at least two or three times um, before I you know get what I'm happy with. Um, and what I kind of like about doing podcasts like this or speaking is that I don't have the chance to be overly perfectionist about it right. and repeat myself a lot. Because I, I honestly don't think I need to. It's just like the opportunity is there. And so I do, you know. <laughs> That's so interesting. Has that, so YouTube, speaking on stage, you mentioned at the beginning, you would have anxiety about speaking up in meetings. Mm-hmm. Is that just gone? Yeah. Speaking up in meetings is no longer anxiety inducing for me. As anybody on the ConvertKit team will tell you, <laughs> you cannot shut me up in meetings most of the time. <laughs> Obviously, that's partially just getting older and being more comfortable. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I think it's it's also you know I'm over a decade into my career as a designer now, so I can have more confidence in what I'm saying. Um, But yeah, there's definitely the element of the getting comfortable speaking in general too. Um, I've seen that happen in in person at like the after the talk side of a conference, right? We are like socializing with other speakers, with other attendees. I am way less afraid now to speak to people in person because I've found this confidence through, through speaking essentially. Oh, that gives me something. I know I said there was one more question I've asked like (laughs) nine, but this is really the last one. So when someone says you changed my life with this video or they come up to you during a talk, Oh my gosh, it totally changed the way I think about da 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 da. I have always found, and listen, it's not like that's happened to me a thousand times or anything, but it has happened a few times. And I don't, I don't feel like my response is there and and maybe it doesn't need to be, but how do you respond when someone says this video changed my my life? I don't know. I'm going to have any helpful advice for you here, Mike, because my response is definitely not there either. Like, aside you from enjoyed it. Yeah, like thanking them. And then my default is always to, to ask them more questions about themselves. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, tell me more about that. Like, where'd you go? What are you doing now? Like, how are you liking it? Uh, so that's, that's what I love about um, having an online presence, though, is the way that people come up to you. Uh, when you're at an, an event that's like related to your niche, it happens to me at design conferences and people will come up and, and strike up a conversation and then you don't ever have to worry about, you know, standing to the side awkwardly because people are wanting to talk and they already know all about you. So you can put all the focus on right. this conversation on them, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Okay. I was supposed to ask you this at the beginning for every guest for the rest of 2022. I make a $50 donation to a charity of their choice. Who should we be donating to today, Charlie? 
please, if you could, I would love for you to donate to Safe Passage. They're a UK charity I've been donating to regularly since since living there. Um, they help refugees, I think children specifically, um, find find homes and like immigrate to the UK, um, which uh, like is especially important now given the the current government. And I will stop there so we don't get controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Safe passage. Okay, done. Um, we always close out the show with two things. So one is a speaking tip from our guest. That would be you. Mm-hmm. And then the other is a story. So as a reminder, the speaking tip is not something I would necessarily find in a textbook, but just in your experience, here's something that has been helpful. What is that speaking tip from you, Charlie? Well, you probably will find this in a textbook, but it's also part of my inner monologue while I'm doing a talk. So I want to say it anyway. And you said I can swear. So yeah. I'm going to say that my speaking tip is slow the fuck down. <laughs> I talk really fast. You've probably noticed anyone listening to this podcast. Um, it's a like a problem I have. My mind moves faster than the words can come out of my mouth. And it's part of like when I feel anxious as well on stage, I just start speaking quicker and quicker, not because I'm trying to get through it faster, but just because I'm, I don't know, there's, there's that hyped up energy behind it. And so I'm literally saying to myself while I'm speaking, hey, Charlie, slow the fuck down. Take a, take a breath. You know, Mm -hmm. you notice that you end a sentence and you're like, okay, you're speaking way too fast if you're having to take a breath. (laughs) The audience can hear you exhale. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I just, I, I, I might've been you who gave me this advice actually during some early practice sessions of that first talk you coached me on that you, you can always go slower than you think that you can. And you might be feeling like I am speaking really slow. Yeah. But the audience, they are hearing a clear concise message delivered and that it's like hitting home for them because you've slowed down. Mm, That's good. I think the operative thing there is take a break, take a pause. Yep. Pauses are fine and pick your moments with them too. pause after you've just delivered that key thing that you want people to take photos of. Yeah. (laughs) That's a, that's a good chance for a a pause for you as well. Yeah. 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 Pause. Let them take out their phone repeat mm-hmm. the same let them point. think about it mm-hmm. big sign basically waving a sign overhead saying hey <laughs> this is important it's good it's good all right last thing a charlie i, I still want to say prongly a charlie prangly you could call me charlie marie instead if you want that's probably what more, more of the internet oh yeah what am anyway. i doing <laughs> totally charlie marie it's easier to charlie, say yeah there we go charlie marie what's uh what's a charlie marie story that we should and again this this might be something you told from stage or it might just be a fun story. What, what story should we hear? First of all, how long you got? <laughs> what, what version of this story do you want? <laughs> I want I want the best version of it, whatever okay. that is. Okay. So this is the story of how I came to be living this life in Valencia, working remote, having lots of time to create content as well as hold down a city job. Um, And it all started from making YouTube videos. When I first started out on YouTube, I uploaded consistently every single week for five years. I did not miss a week ever. Some weeks I even uploaded two videos. And it was like a slow, steady slog to be building the audience behind it. But the fact that I was doing it with this consistency got recognition from a community I was part of, the Sean Wes community. I don't know if you know Sean McCabe. but he had seen that I was doing this, that I was committing to this consistency. And he asked me to speak at his first conference, the Sean Wes conference in Austin, Texas. I think it was in 2016. 
is what comes to mind. Um, and I, that was my first time that I'd ever been invited to give like a proper talk. I'd done, done a couple of meetups and things like that, but this was my first speaking at a conference experience. So I was very honored, very afraid, but wanted to commit and do it anyway. Um, spent a lot of time preparing and giving this talk showed up. It went, I think pretty well for my first proper speaking experience. And it was super inspiring to be in this room of all these other, you know, creative folks who had a similar mindset. And someone who was in the room and who was also speaking at that conference was Nathan Barry, our mutual friend. He is the CEO of ConvertKit and he gave a talk about pricing and how creators can sort of like anchor pricing and do that sort of thing. Um, and he was kind of like this, the celebrity at this conference, right? Mm. Like everyone wanted to speak to Nathan Barry and everyone <laughs> was like in awe of him because um, of all his, you know, great contributions to the internet. So I was very honored when after the conference wrapped up on the last day, we were standing near the back of the room and he turns to me and my friend and says, hey, you want to go get lunch? And we were like, oh my God, Nathan Barry wants to have lunch with us. Like, this is what we're saying on the inside. Um, we grabbed, grabbed another friend and we headed off to this little pizza place and we sat there for several hours just talking all things design, all things internet and video and content and stuff. Um, partway through that conversation, Nathan says to me, have you ever considered working remotely for an email marketing software company? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a weird question. How that's an oddly very specific. specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At this time, I was working uh, in-house in a in a, a startup in London. Um, and he had thought that I was a creator full-time. And it was only when we were talking and I was talking about my work and, and about design that he realized, oh, I actually still work for a company. Um and so, yeah, I was having this moment of not really understanding what he was asking. And our friend turns to me and says, dude, I think he's offering you a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I got very flustered. I was like, oh, oh, uh, okay, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Uh, you know, didn't, didn't play it off very cool. But um, I think I remember actually in the elevator as we were coming back from lunch, going back to the hotel, I gave him my business card and was like, okay, yeah, let's talk. This, that was my version. Like I'd been thinking the whole walk back to the hotel, like how do I, how do I recover from this? How do I keep this conversation going? This is a total um, dating. This is like a dating story. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. Uh, so yeah, then Nathan and I did talk. We went out for breakfast the next day, which was kind of like an interview. And a couple of months later, I joined ConvertKit and I've been there for five years now. So it all came from us speaking together at a conference. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Okay, what's the, how, how would you use that? I can think of a hundred ways you would use that, but how would you use that from stage? Ooh, I think I could use it as a, a motivator for putting yourself out there. Yeah. And in fact, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, I have, I have used this as part of that self-promotion talk in the past <laughs> as well of just saying like, look, you don't know what can happen by putting yourself out there and letting other people see your skills and learn from you. I wasn't out there looking for a job. I didn't speak at that conference because I wanted a remote job, you know, but I met people and it came about because of it. And I honestly don't know where I'd be if I hadn't done that. Um, might not have met Nathan, might not be here in this room in Valencia right now if that hadn't happened. That's so cool. It's funny. My life changed with a lunch with Nathan as well. <laughs> okay. Maybe he needs to change his name to Nathan <laughs> Lunch Changer Barry. Lunch guy. <laughs> lunch guy Barry. <laughs> no, I, I want to give a speech at some point on how to go to a conference or, or how to attend a conference, like how to, That'd how be to very network. Meta. But it, 
<laughs> but it would be I, I have to come up with a way that makes it sound special because the way I just said it, everybody's talked about before. But my my thesis, and I get this loosely from my friend Chase, is that so what usually happens is you go to a conference and there's a you know, your hero is there. So the Nathan Barry mm-hmm. person is there and everybody waits to talk to Nathan. Yeah. And that's cool. I'm sure he appreciates it. At the same time, I, I, I think it's difficult if I don't know Nathan Barry right now, I think it's difficult for me to walk up to him and offer him anything that he does not have or would be helpful. Especially I'm, if you're one in a line of people waiting to talk. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Versus if I go to a conference and I meet someone who's more on my level and I, I become their friend and we just keep in touch, it's playing more of the long game. But I think that's that's the wiser way to go. When I met Nathan, he had not, I mean, ConvertKit was years away. I don't know that, I don't even know what he was doing. I just knew him <laughs> as like this nice guy who loved his family. And that happened because we happened to go to lunch at the same place and then we just kept in touch. And I think if you keep in touch with people, like step one is you always have to be good at what you do. So I think a lot of times people push that step away, but. Mm. Uh, step one, be good at what you do. Step two, be in touch with people and st- maintain touch. That's, yeah. that's a good way to go. Yep. And what's, ooh, let me tie it all together here. Something that's nice about what you do with YouTube videos is it creates the illusion of staying in touch, hmm. even if I'm not literally emailing you all the time. True. But I would say that it's one-sided because I don't get to see what you're doing in your day-to-day life. Uh, this is something that I think people often forget. Um, even my family sometimes they <laughs> they like won't call me as much because they've already seen my week on YouTube, you know, <laughs> or like they know what I've been up to, um, so they don't ask questions about it. <laughs> uh, Charlie, yeah, yeah, I just watched the YouTube. She's busy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, maybe I didn't tie that together. But anyway, my thesis on conferences: it's great. Sure, go meet your hero. Watch he or she speak. But also the people you meet there, keep in touch with them. I think that's mm-hmm. that's what my advice would be. Yep. So I guess I'll start another podcast on that. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Marie, uh, where can where can we learn more about you? Where would we keep in touch with you in a what's in a one sided fashion? <laughs> in a one sided fashion, <laughs> my YouTube channel is Charlie Marie TV. Charlie has no e on the end. Marie does. So there we go for typing in. Um, charliemarie.com as well as links to all of the other things that I do and also where you can get that font that Mike mentioned. <laughs> Grayscale. I love it. That's so good. What a talented person you are. Thank you so much Shucks. for taking the time, <laughs> rearranging your schedule. What everybody doesn't know is I'm like <laughs> feverishly texting you behind the scenes like, well, what if we did it 15 minutes earlier? <laughs> uh, thank you for making time for me. And of course. Thank you for sharing all this. Seriously, like this is, this is just so good. Yeah, no worries. All right. We shall talk to you soon. Thanks again to my guest, Charlie Marie Prangley, for being on the show. Charlie is so great. Again, check her out. Charlie Marie TV and charliemarie.com. The Best Speech Podcast has been produced and edited all the way from Tanzania by Alicia Otieno. Music by Jonah Ramey. I'm your host, Mike Pacione. Folks, check out our website, bestspeech.co. And until next time, do good things out there.